When I started out in ministry, things didn't go as I had planned. They didn't go the way I expected them to go. They didn't go the way I wanted them to go. I had finished my seminary degree at Asbury Theological Seminary, and I had not one but two graduate degrees in my pocket. And I did the thing that young pastors do. I talked to a lot of churches, but there was one church in Pennsylvania that wanted to date me, so to speak, and I wanted to date them. They liked me, and I liked them. And this church in Pennsylvania really felt like a good fit for me, for my family, and it really felt like I was a good fit for them. Part of that was because they were about to become an extension campus for the Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, which was a sister institution for where I had gone to graduate school at Wheaton. And there was just so many things that seemed like it was a fit. Well, it had gotten to the point where they were wanting to put me and Jenny on a plane and fly us out so that they could meet my wife and we could ink the deal that we had been discussing. I went in to see my boss at the time, Pastor Steve, and I told him where we were in the negotiating process and that we were about to get these tickets and get on this plane. <clears throat> and he leaned back in his leather chair and he asked me this question. He said, Max, why am I helping you negotiate a deal with a church to do for them what we need done here in Kentucky. And without skipping a beat, I told him, because they're going to pay me. <laughs> well, then he did something I never expected. He tried to get me to stay, and he said, I can't pay you much. I can only offer you, get this, $500 a month. But would you consider staying and doing for us here what you're going to go to Pennsylvania to do there. Well, I didn't even have to think about it. No, I wouldn't consider that, I told him. And then he asked the killer question, will you pray about it? Ugh, pray about it? No, I didn't want to pray about it. But what do you say when someone says that? So I dutifully went home and I told Jenny and we started to pray about it. What does God want? What is, how is God moving? Those are all the kinds of questions that come up when you are going to pray about something. Praying about something is just downright dangerous. What does God want? What is God doing? How is God moving in the situation? I don't know about you, but I don't particularly like consulting God. Because God's plans don't always line up with my plans. And God often wants me to do something that requires risk, that requires faith. The Christmas story is saturated with risk and faith. It's filled with individuals who have to make a choice. People like Zachariah and Elizabeth, Joseph, and Mary, Herod, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, all of these characters in this story, these things that actually happened in the first century in the ancient Near East, they all faced choices. Would they be open and surrendered? 
or would they be closed and resistant? One such person at the center of all of it is a young woman named Mary. Mary was a teenage girl who was betrothed to a young man named Joseph. Now, it's helpful to look at how marriages played out in the first century, but I got to tell you, I like Mary's side of the story as told by Luke in his gospel. And so that's where I want to focus today is in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2. Two little snippets out of Mary's pregnancy and post-pregnancy life. If you want Joseph's side of the story, read Matthew. But today we're getting Mary's side of the story. Now, as I said, Mary was betrothed. That meant she was engaged to Joseph. In this day and time, marriages had two parts, the betrothal part and the marriage part. The betrothal part began when a contract was made between the bride's parents and the groom's parents. And the groom's parents would pay something called the mohar, the bride price. Now this payment covered the cost of the wedding, which sometimes could last as long as a week. Think about your wedding day and all the stuff that was involved in just one day. And now imagine that lasting an entire week. <laughs> it can get expensive. But the down payment, that mohar, also was a bit of a guarantee or insurance for the bride's family in case the groom wasn't happy. Because if the groom wasn't happy back then, he could file divorce papers and walk away. It was a binding contract, even though the marriage, the chuppah, would take place months or often a year later after the betrothal. That's where we pick things up in Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and following. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, how can this happen? I am a virgin. Now, it was a big no-no to get pregnant during the betrothal period of one's engagement. Mary, in this passage, is rightly concerned about this message from the angel. How can this happen? Mary is basically saying, hey, I haven't and I won't yet. <laughs> now, we know from Matthew's account, Joseph's side of the story, that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, he was hurt because he assumed that Mary had been unfaithful and he wanted to divorce her, which was the compassionate option. He actually clearly cared about 
Mary. If he had just been mad and, and an unhappy groom, so to speak, he could have told both, both families and they would have brought Mary out, paraded her out and stoned her to death. But that's not what Joseph wanted to do. Still, he was hurt. But an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and Joseph believes what the angel tells him and he sticks it out with Mary. Luke chapter 1, verse 35. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but now she's in her sixth month. Nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. May everything you've said come true. It's like the Beatles song, let it be, let it be. Mary is saying that she's going to trust God to do what God has promised. She's available. Now, what did she bring to the table exactly? Could Mary, by a sheer act of her will, make herself pregnant? No. And if you need to know how that happens, you need to go back and have your birds and bees talks with mom and dad. No, by herself, she can't produce a son. But God could give her one. God could give her Jesus, which literally means God saves. When she connects up with her cousin Elizabeth a few verses later. Elizabeth says to Mary, you're blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Well, we all know the story of the birth of Jesus. They traveled to Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the end and she gave birth to her son, Jesus. Eight days later, Joseph and Mary take their newborn son to Jerusalem so that they can offer the required sacrifice. And this is where we pick things up in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and he had revealed to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simon, Simeon blessed, the, blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce 
your very soul. There are two adjectives in this passage that describe Simeon. Uh, righteous and devout. And, and Simeon is not only righteous, but he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you know who else was righteous and devout in, in Luke's gospel? Zechariah and Elizabeth. And Simeon testifies in this encounter outside the temple that God is up to something. This baby, this baby is the one, the one everyone's been waiting for, the Messiah, God's deliverer. Notice what Simeon says to Mary. Jesus will divide people. Jesus will sift people. Jesus will sort people. The reaction of people to Jesus will reveal their true reaction to God. It was true then, and boy, is it still true 2,000 years later. In, in light of the responses that we see in the life of Mary and the life of Joseph and the life of Simeon, I got to ask a simple question this Christmas. Are you open or are you closed when it comes to the things of God? Is your stance when God whispers something or nudges you to do something, the let it be, Lord, or is it more, whoa, hey, wait a minute, not so fast, Jesus. We're going to talk about this. What's your stance toward God these days, this Christmas? Let me suggest a couple of things that you and I can take from, from these passages from Luke's gospel. The first and foremost is become a servant. Become a servant. In Luke chapter 2, Simeon says this, Sovereign Lord, let your servant die in peace. This word sovereign Lord, the Greek word there is despota. Despota, despot, despot. It's where we get the word despot or master. It means absolute ownership and power. Simeon is acknowledging that God is God and he is but a servant. It's the same thing that Eli tells little Samuel. Hey, if you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And you know what servants do? Servants serve. This pandemic has been rough. This year has been rough. Husbands and wives, are you serving? Husbands, let me talk to you for a moment. Is she the only one who's lifting a finger around the home? Wives, is he the only one that's worrying about the state of affairs and if things are done or not done, right? Everyone has a part. Everyone has a role. Everyone can serve. For those of you that are old enough to do chores, are you doing your part? Are you serving in the home? And then there are all kinds of ways, whether it's showing up at one point during the week to help pack boxes or unload trucks at the food pantry or even clean our church facility, empty as it is, right? There are all kinds of ways to serve. But if there's anything we see in the life of Mary and the life of Simeon, it's that they embraced the role, they embraced the, the mindset of a servant. 
become a servant this Christmas. And secondly, seek a life that's righteous and devout. Those are the two adjectives that are applied to Simeon. He was righteous and devout and filled with the Holy Spirit. He was waiting on the arrival of the Messiah. Just last week or a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that a kingdom person is a loving person. So if you wanna, if you wanna seek to live a righteous life, a devout life, one of the best ways to do that is to love the way Jesus loved. And so the, the question, the litmus test is simple. Am I a more loving person today than I was 30 days ago? Am I a more loving person today than I was a year ago. So at the beginning, I mentioned this church in Pennsylvania and these airline tickets we were gonna get and this plane trip we were gonna take that got interrupted by my pastor, my boss, Pastor Steve, who asked us to pray about an offer of $500 a month to stay in Kentucky versus an offer of 40 some thousand dollars a year plus benefits. Well, we prayed about it and we felt like God was asking us to stay. I remember my first response when Pastor Steve asked me in that office, will you pray about it? I actually said to him out loud, no. And he leaned back in his chair and he laughed and he said, wait a minute, you're telling me you're not even going to pray about it? Max. And then I went home and I told Jenny and we prayed and she was the first one to say, I think God wants us to stay. And I remember asking her, are you nuts? Are you nuts? None of you listening to this message today would be doing so if I had been closed to what God might be wanting me to do. It was a big risk. We already had a son. We already had another mouth to feed. But the rest, as they say, is history. I often wonder what would have happened if Mary had told the angel, whoa, wait a minute. Hey, let me think about this for a little while and I'll get back with you. I often wonder what would have happened if Joseph had decided to ignore the dream and go ahead and divorce Mary and move on with his life. I often wonder what would have happened if the shepherds had questioned what they saw with their eyes and decided to wait until first light to set out and find this child born in Bethlehem. I often wonder what would have happened if the wise men had determined, had determined that the journey was going to be too long or too costly. One of the best things that you can do, one of the best things that you can do to wrap up 2020 is to have open hands and an open heart and to literally live out and have the attitude of Mary when she says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said come true.